Tips Nerd Alert podcast. This week is another deep dive, and yet again, your regular host, James Huang, has found himself buried under a pile of shiny new bikes that aren't going to test themselves. I'm Dave Rome. I'm again pretending to be host, and I have a bit of a fun episode for you. If you're into mountain bikes and tech, then you may have stumbled upon the crazy bike builds of Gustav Gullholm, aka Danger Home. Danger Home is best known for building crazy light and bling mountain bikes, whether for cross-country racing, enduro, or even downhill. And in recent time, some of his builds have included stealthy integrated electronic shifting or hack suspension lockouts and dropper posts that run off a single controller. As seen on Cycling Tips, the jort-wearing Swede recently turned his attention to the drop bar world and modified his first gravel bike. This heavily customized Scott Addict Gravel has super interesting details everywhere you look. And so while we've already published a full feature on the bike, I was keen to dive that little bit deeper into the mind of Danger Home. This is a varied chat, covering everything from forming an idea for a custom project, what it takes to make it happen, where gravel bikes have room for improvement, and how to go about just picking a custom color scheme. Let's dive in. My my surname is is Gullholm and uh, Gull is Norwegian for gold. But I live in Sweden and here Gull means sweet. And uh, way back, me and my friends we we were inspired by things like you know Chuck Norris and bad action, and, and that's how my Instagram account was started. Just doing really bad sketches, and of course, Sweet Holm doesn't sound as good as Danger Holm. So Danger Holm it was. <laughs> <laughs> That's stuck ever since. Yeah, it's stuck ever since. Nice. So yeah, can you tell me a bit about yourself, what you do as a day job? Yeah, I actually work 100% at a bike and sports shop. In the past, I used to wrench bikes all day, but uh, now actually it's, it's more of selling running shoes and, and stuff like that. But I, I get to sell a few bikes as well. It's all good. Okay. Where can people find you? If they, if they wanted to buy some running shoes, where, where would they find you? In the middle of Sweden, in a small town called Mura. And what got you customizing bikes? Oh, it's been going on forever, really. I remember me and my friends we took my old 16-inch BMX bike when I was a kid and spray-painted it, and from there on it went. So, so yeah, I guess I always just loved bikes and riding and working on them and everything. Yeah, right. So you spray-painted your first bike when you were 16, you said? No, it was a 16-inch, so I was way younger oh, than 16. Young. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> yeah. So you just, just started pulling apart your childhood bike when you are what, like 16-inch? You would have been like five or six years old or at that age. Yeah, well, I mean, it was my old bike, so I must have been like okay. ten, 10 or something maybe, but, but yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. I think I did the exact same with my like 20-inch mongoose and uh, freaked yeah. my dad out because I <laughs> had pulled it apart without really understanding how to put it back together and did a really bad black spray, spray paint job on it. So uh, hopefully yours went better than my experience. Maybe it's part of growing up to be a cyclist, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, perhaps. So, uh, yeah, so some of the people, some of our listeners might not know uh, too much about your builds because, you know, some of some of our listeners might be more focused on the road or gravel side and perhaps haven't seen your work before that's been published many times over on Pinkbike. Can you tell us what uh, what your lightest mountain bike is to date that you've that you've got your name to? Uh, my lightest mountain bike I built was a 
fully equipped hardtail uh, with front suspension. It was 6.22 kilos, including pedals. So I think that's something like 13 point something pounds. Yeah, and the full suspension version was uh, 7.33 kilos. But that was, okay. was with some pretty crappy tires. So real weight <laughs> yeah. was like maybe half a kilo and more, but you know. Yeah, was like okay. Quite the project. <laughs> And that was that was a pair of bikes, wasn't it? It was sort of uh, yeah, matching hardtail and dual suspension. Yeah, exactly. It was a pair of bikes I built in 2017. That was when I kind of like started making some some noise, and, and people got interested in in what I do. I've done it for many years, but that's when things kind of snowballed from there with, with more and more mountain bikes build, mountain bike builds. But now it was time for for a drop bar bike. Finally, yeah, yeah, we'll get we'll get to that. I, I'll uh, I'm keen to talk a bit more about uh, I guess how you how you got to this stage. But you pretty much since at least since I've I've seen your builds, say 2016, 2017, you've been uh, building with Scott bikes. What's your what's your affiliation with the company? Well, uh, traditionally, you know, as a as a shop rat, I, I built a lot of bikes based on the brands we we sell. So I built quite a few Trek bikes and specialized and, uh, and a lot of Scott bikes. And of course, I mean, I, I've honestly really liked the bikes, the lightweight with, which suits my preferences and, and it just went from, from there. So, so most of the, the Scott bikes I've built over the years have actually been, been bought by me, you know, just like anyone, but recently, uh, of course the, they, they got to know about who's this crazy guy scraping paint off. <laughs> our friends <laughs> with knives so uh, i got in contact with them uh, like a couple of years ago and and uh, went from there so so these days i'm more of a global ambassador from for them okay cool so are you, you're not getting paid you're more just getting the the bikes to to pay to to play with i guess is that is that the case or is there a bit of just very recently signed a, a contract with them uh, so okay. so things yeah. are are growing and uh, maybe i don't have to work 100 percent at the shop that much wow. longer okay but, all right uh, but yeah so so it's it's been a long journey to to get here but but it's it's starting now <laughs> so these builds are really taking off they they started as a hobby and they're almost becoming a job now yeah almost. exactly yeah so it's i mean it's it's crazy. I'm I'm super thankful. It's just that it's been so much work to, to have the full time job and and do all of this on the, on the side. So I spend these days, but it's it's worth it. <laughs> yeah. How many of these crazy builds would you say you've done? Say in the last five years, do you have a do you have a rough idea of how many you get through? Uh, must have been something like I don't know, ten bikes or something. But okay. But it, it depends. I mean, some some projects take way more time than than others depending on how much custom work and uh, there is to do so i mean this one bike I, I must have like a couple of hundred works out work hours at least and it's taken mm. a couple of years as well to, to actually finish so yeah the last bike we saw from you was uh what was the white hardtail was it is it white painted hardtail and the i yeah. just remember the photos in the snow which were spectacular but uh yeah what, what was that bike that that you built yeah, it actually was uh, a full suspension bike where I really wanted to to push the the integration, or uh, like hide all the cables and and everything. So it has full uh, 
electronic lockout system and, and of course brakes and shifting and drop purpose and everything, but no visible cables at the handlebars. And here the inspiration, of course, was the modern road bikes. And I, I really think this is where the mountain bike scene is, is going. People just don't really realize it yet. Yeah. And yours is probably one of the first that uh, at least the pink bike audience had ever seen with, uh, with such integration. So it's uh, blew a few minds there. Um, yeah, and everyone working at a shop cried a little bit also preparing for the job to come. <laughs> oh, really? It was no. a, a lot of work, was it? <laughs> no, it was actually, I mean, it, it wasn't that much worse than, than building a, a stock integrated cable bike. It's always a bit more work than, you know, traditional external routing, but we'll oh. get there. And and then the the industry that you've inspired off the back of that bike uh, will cause mechanics to to swear your name for in a decade's time. Exactly, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the the integration, the inspiration from road bikes is a pretty good segue into your your latest bike, which is uh, it's your first gravel bike build, is it? Yeah, my very first drop bar bike at all. Uh, I've done it all from BMX and trial to downhill and cross country marathon, but. But now it was time for a real bike, so to say. <laughs> okay. All right. Had you ridden gravel bikes before? No, none of them. Yes, yes, some, right. you know, uh, cross bikes and, and stuff like that, but, but no real gravel bike. So, so it was, the thing is I, I ride so much gravel on my mountain bikes. I even built a gravel specific mountain bike hardtail. So I do love gravel riding and we have tons of, of those roads around where I live. So I was really eager to get my hands on one of these. Yeah. Okay. Is uh, what's the terrain like around you? Is it pretty rough that the hardtail is a good gravel bike or is there sort of room to have something a bit faster? It's definitely room to have a, something a bit faster. There's a, yeah. a huge forest industry here. So we have super nice gravel roads for, for getting the, the timber out. Yeah. I, I could probably be happy on, on, 32 millimeter tires too, but it's, it's nice to be, be prepared. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Okay. Something a bit more versatile. Yeah. So what was the goal for this bike? You, you started with a, an attic gravel, the new attic gravel with, which is sort of the, the new integrated gravel bike from Scott. Uh, what was, what was the general goal? What were you trying to achieve? Yeah, of course it's, it's a, it's a Scott. So it's, it's a pretty lightweight frame. So naturally my, my first thought was to build it something, you know, stupid light like maybe six kilos or something with proper tires but but on the other hand it's i wanted to to kind of focus more on on just making it really good looking and and also focus so much on on performance and and speed just you know build it light but don't let that take over so and also there were things like it's a, it's a modern frame. It has aero tubes and, and everything. So it would just look so wrong with the low profile, super light wheels. So I had to opt for some 45 millimeters to, to get that proper look on it, you know? Yeah. So that was the main idea. Just, just build it into a, a really nice both looking and riding bike. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I've only seen photos and a, a little bit of video, but, uh, I'd say goal achieved, but uh, thank you, thank uh, you. <laughs> <laughs> um, what with the frame? Was, was there anything that you modified on the frame itself? Was there any any sort of trickery going on with that with the frame before the paint? Just a little bit, because finally there was a bike I could build that already had perfect integration for the cables, so that was nice. Not having to you know drill steer tubes and 
<laughs> carbon reinforced stuff. But uh, I actually wanted to prepare the bike for some uh, some custom uh, frame bags, which will be made later on. So we added some uh, holes on the bottom of the top tube and uh, two at the back of the seat post. So we will have some bolt-on bags. No straps here to, to ruin that paint. <laughs> nice. What's, uh, what's involved with, uh, I guess, adding mounts to a, carbon, a lightweight carbon frame? It's not just a matter of drilling holes and... No, of course not. Uh, putting in rev nuts, I assume. Yeah, and you will void your warranty, so <laughs> maybe yeah. not the best idea. <laughs> yeah. But but actually, for for all my bikes, I don't do the carbon work myself, uh, so I hand that over to a local uh, carbon repairman who repairs frames all days, and he sort of destroys mine and then repair them, you know. <laughs> so so then I just do the the finishing work, making everything look good. So, so there are some some external reinforcement to to the rivets and and such, just to okay. be, be on the safe side. Yeah, yeah. The build that you've got on this is quite interesting to me because most people, when they build such a high end bike with such uh, integration in it, especially when you're talking uh, integration through the, you know the the handlebar and stem through the headsets um, or through the frame at least, they'd normally go with the easiest option, which is electronic shifting. Um, perhaps even wireless and that's stuff you've got pretty good experience with looking at your mountain bikes but you went you went something a little different with this you went a, a one by mechanical group set uh which tram don't even make themselves you modified basically what a mountain bike rear derailleur with a, a road shifter and, and made it 12 speed with a one of the ratio kits out of the uk what did, what inspired you to go this route well i must say that as much as I love SRAM Axis wireless, there's just something about the, the look of the old mechanical derailleurs. They just uh, a bit slimmer looking, you know. They, <coughs> I, I just li- like it, uh, and also they do work exceptionally well. So I mean, it's sure it's practical, and uh, and I mean the the wireless is is flawless as such. But wire <laughs> regular mechanical systems still work well, very well. And also, it allowed me to do some more customizing to to the actual derailleur. So it has been fully upgraded with uh, with carbon parts. So now it's it, it. I think it's like twenty percent SRAM at this point. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so so everything just the, just is, the logo is SRAM. <laughs> exactly on on the clutch clutch cover. So uh, so that was to to kind of make it go with the frame visually. Yes, raw carbon against raw carbon and and, and that stuff. And yeah, also, gotcha. I mean, it, <coughs> the the ratio kit works really well, so so it wasn't a a big deal as as such. It's it's pretty much plug and play. Yeah, I was going to ask, how's the shifting performance? Yeah, well, of course, I have to say that I don't have that much experience since I haven't ridden many of these before. But it, it's flawless. It it works perfectly fine. Yeah, is that like good enough that you'd want you'd run it on your your mountain bike? I know it's you wouldn't fix the drop bar shifter but the shifting performance wise is 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 it that good yeah it's great like that it's just getting used to the double tap shifters you know compared to the thumb triggers i'm i'm using on my mountain bikes always so so that was the the only main difference really how much did weight uh, play into the the decision for that mechanical group actually i decided on the mechanical group when i was into building it super light so it did play play a bit of a role there mm-hmm. on deciding, but I mean, 
just like I mentioned, since I, I like the mechanical system so much, I decided to stick with it. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. I, I run um, Red 22 on a road bike myself. Yeah. It's a bit yeah. of a, a dated group set, but it just it just works, right? And yeah, exactly. Yeah. Super light, super functional. So it looks good. Yeah, it does. Uh, what's what? Do you know roughly how much weight uh, your setup would perhaps save against maybe a comparable mullet axis group set? No, actually, it's it's difficult to find the weights for for the shifter units. Uh, so so that's what's kind of yeah. I, I don't know, but when it comes to derailleurs, uh, the Eagle axis rear derailleur, the mountain bike version, is like really heavy. Mm-hmm. So uh, it my derailleur is like at least uh, 100 gram lighter than, than that one, which easily covers for cables. I'm using extra lightweight cable housing as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, of course, the new Explorer system, the different difference won't be that huge there. But but yeah, it's it's some at least. Yeah, yeah. Th- those cables are quite interesting. It's not uh, Shimano SP41 you're running there. What's what is that housing that you've got on that? Yeah, I actually barely know myself. <laughs> I, I think <laughs> I, I think it's German. It's called Farsi, and uh, and yeah, it's it's an aluminum-based housing, so you don't have steel strands in it. So instead of weighing forty grams per meter, it weighs seventeen grams per meter. But of course, it's a little bit flexier and such. If you were to like really kink it, it breaks more easily. But uh, on a bike like this, where you don't have that huge movements or something, it's it's mm. not an issue. Yeah, gotcha. So it's a bit more fragile to, to kinking. And, yeah, exactly. Sense. But I've been using it for all my bikes in several years and not not one single brake. So. Interesting. Okay. And how's the shift performance? Same? Yeah, pretty much the same. But if you were to like really, I don't know, try and measure it or something, you will of course have a bit more flex in, in this cable compo- uh, or the housing compared to steel housing. Gotcha. So okay. maybe a little softer, but nothing nothing too bad yeah I'll, I'll come back to this point but your your builds always intrigue me because you never go stupid with them in terms of the the weight savings like your your bikes are always pretty sensible and i can see like you know that they'd that actually you'd actually be able to ride them without really holding back too much and i think the one point some one example is the fact that you've got a steer a steel gear cable in there when there's like you know the old power cords or something would have saved you a few extra grams yeah. Uh, so I think it's quite cool to see. I do still use some power cords, but only for yeah. uh, suspension remotes because there you don't notice the difference. But I try them for shifting and yeah, it, it wasn't good. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Not worth the gram save. Nope. Yeah. Let's talk brakes. Uh, you've uh, A lot of your builds I've seen lately have been using Trick Stuff Brakes, which is a small German manufacturer. Yeah. Uh, very desirable product. Very... Uh, very much out of the the budget of a lot of riders, would I say? <laughs> um, this build's no different. What what are you running on this? What have you got linked up to those uh, SRAM levers? Yeah, well, like you say, there there are some expensive brakes, and I, I bought like four pairs over the years. So I I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my point. That's your retirement is, fund. Yeah, yeah, but my point being is that um, after all those brakes, I just truly like them a lot they, they are as good as as they say and uh, these days I, I have way better contacts with them and i work a bit more close with them so i was able to get my hands on on their new road and gravel 
prototype calipers. Uh, I actually don't have that much, you know, info about them. They will be called Strada, and uh, at the at the scale, they are like eight or nine grams heavier than the SRAM Red calipers. But I guess that they are really stiff, and the bigger surface area will help with the heat dissipation. And either way, they they sure does stop the bike. They they're really good. Yeah. Okay. And you're running what a 160 mil rotor at the front, 140 at the rear. Yeah. So I decided to start out with that. I'm a pretty lightweight rider, so so the the bike can take 160 back and and 180 disc front. So start at a small option and see where it goes. Yeah. How much do you weigh? Uh, 72 kilos at the moment. Okay. All right. How tall are you? Uh, 183, six feet. All oh, right. Okay. You're taller than I thought. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's the, the bike size. Yeah. Suggests that you're, um, six foot or, or taller, but, uh, yeah, I've ridden so know. many, like, so many medium sized mountain bikes over the years. Yeah. And it, it's actually not that much for, for weight saving. It's been more a thing about getting the handlebar as low as I wish. And on the trails here, I, I've been enjoying it. It's, it's been more fun on a compact and fun bike than a, a bigger bike. Yeah. But uh, now I'm, I'm leaning more towards uh, large mountain bikes. And of course, this uh, this gravel frame is a uh, 56 or large. Mm. Yeah. And they, they run quite lo- they run quite long as well, the Scott bikes. That's, yeah. that's quite a big yeah, bike. Yeah. Uh, the, so yeah, your brakes you got, and then trick stuff rotors as well. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And and like, then... I, I've ridden these, you know, stupid lightweight Shima rotors and uh, also stock rotors and mm-hmm. they kind of just hit a, a nice sweet spot so they're they're nice for, for lightweight but everyday use yeah gotcha okay and uh all titanium bolts are out yeah all titanium and uh i mean that that's the thing with, with building lightweight bikes it's often not that much about people always ask like where do you save the most and and yeah sure you can save a big chunk at some points but then it really comes down to doing small adjustments everywhere to, to get down there i mean save 100 gram in in 10 places and you have a kilo there yeah yeah for sure um but and a few thousand dollars in, out of pocket yeah exactly of <laughs> yeah. course the, the lower you go the more expensive it gets <laughs> yeah yeah my uh my weight weenie days aren't as uh my habits aren't as severe as they used to be but uh no. suddenly the the titanium bolts used to add up and cost more than they did in weight savings. So yeah, it's, funny, it's funny you say that because sure, my, my bikes kind of say otherwise. I mean, we just talked mm. about the carbon derailleur, but mm. I'm a little bit the same. But it's just that it's so much fun to, to actually focus on on looks and on on just making the bike ride great. So so these days, it's more about saving weight where I can and, and then let, let the other decide on the rest yeah yeah like one one example is you you seem to be paying a bit more attention to frictional losses these days as well like you're you're running ceramic speed on all your bikes which is not always the lightest option Um, no exactly yeah uh is that is that something that you you've taken to all your bikes now or is it just on on more the the cross-country stuff it's more on the cross-country stuff then i have two ceramic speed equipped and one kogel equipped Okay. And uh, I guess it just, of course, you know, I'm not a pro rider, so so I don't really need it. But but sure, it it does work. I mean, it's marginal, but 
so so is most of the stuff I do at the end of the day. So yeah. So uh, yeah, I just I just like the way the the bike feels with it. Just tiny, tiny bit more. What have you found to make the biggest difference in terms of uh, drivetrain drag? Like, is it is it just the chain or is the bottom bracket? Like, what's the first thing you do? Well, I think that to to actually in most cases, I believe that that you kind of have to do all all points to to actually get it a noticeable difference. Yeah. You you have to have the right chain loop and you have to you know have the the bearings as well and and pulley wheels because then then you at least of course you might not feel it as much under full load but at least when you pick your bike and and touch the cranks they they spin super light and you go like oh if I'm slow today it's just me <laughs> so <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> that must be a problem having a uh, having the bikes that you have is uh, oh no no excuses yeah. I, I, yeah. if I, if I suck at a race I just suck you know. <laughs> <laughs> It's definitely the problem with always having the nicest gear. So yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> but nice problem to have. Um, exactly. <laughs> let's talk wheels. So you've got some. Um, I'm going to butcher this, but Radsport Technic, I think, is the the rim that you're running. Yeah, it's not a it's not a rim I see too often. Is what, what's the story with that brand? Well, actually, it's a, it's a wheel building specialist shop in in Germany. So don't ask me to pronounce the name that that well either <laughs> but but uh, i mean they they're really big and and build all sorts of wheels and, and brands you can can come up with and uh, mostly premium hubs and, and stuff both mountain mm. bike and road and they also have this in-house brand which i mean i i don't honestly know exactly what factory the rims are, are coming out of but uh, but there are some these are a new model called mgrx 45 so they are 45 millimeter profile and 25 millimeter width at just 405 grams of weight. So uh, the complete wheel set is 1420 grams or something, I think, yeah, including right. my my heavy paint. So it, it's quite a ride for for such big rims. Wow, and that's tubeless, is it? Yeah, tubeless. Yeah, tubeless. Yeah, right. Okay, and you've got that built up with tune hubs. Is that something you've used before, or is that is that a new product for you? No, I actually used them like. 10 years ago the first time and uh, also have them on my world's lightest downhill bike but but there i don't do as much pedaling so so this was maybe a, a better use for them <laughs> mm. but uh, but yeah they, they are just i mean hubs are something that i believe that as long as you stick with uh, with a reputable and, and good brand you're gonna be quite happy but mm. choose a bit with your heart i mean there are some really great looking hubs out there and uh, of course yeah. the, the sound as well for for a cycling nerd i think hubs are a, a, an important component yeah how do these sound are they it's more clicky isn't it so it's uh is it pole based or yeah it's pole based so they're quite pure in their click sound but okay uh, but yeah they're, they're really nice yeah nice okay yeah i haven't uh i haven't ridden a set of tune hubs for many years so it's uh no i haven't, no, it, haven't it, it, tried their latest stuff i, I used yeah. to write you know i wrote a set briefly while they'll still um you could freewheel in both directions <laughs> I, I remember those days as well <laughs> yeah they were terrible back in the day but but these days they, they actually they actually work they got them sorted yeah cool. yeah finally so wrapping those wheels you've got uh one of my preferred gravel ties you got a maxis rambler on there 
in a surprising width. You've got 45 mil wide tires on there, which uh, I guess goes back to the point I was saying before, which is it's it's proof that you don't take the weight weenieism too far. You sort of, you have things that you're not willing to cut corners on. Um, what, what made you go with those tires? Well, it was actually really difficult choosing tires. I mean, going on into the whole build process, this was my first drop-off bike. So, so it was like a new world to me. And so I both wanted to get it right for myself. And also, of course, I wanted it to, I mean, just not look like a mountain biker that had to go, you know, <laughs> and yeah. did something bad. But, but <laughs> tires was actually one of the most difficult things because the tread patterns are just so different compared to, to mountain bike tires. So uh, there was a, a lot of scrolling before I, I decided on, on these ones. And I feel they kind of strike a, a pretty good balance between rolling resistance and more of a mountain bike-like tread pattern that, that's quite mm. grippy. Yeah, it's not quite a Maxxis Minion, but... Uh... And like you say, I, I could cut some corners here, but, but uh, I didn't want to. Yeah. 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 Okay. And uh, what what do these tires weigh in a forty five? Do you know roughly? What they Pretty came much five hundred five hundred on the spot, four ninety five okay. or something. And yeah. They okay. Seem, they seem to be quite consistent too. Yeah. Cool. Okay. But there was definitely room to save weight there if you wanted to. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that would be my my way to sub seven kilo. But bike has to ride well. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. You've, you've previously run inserts on some of your mountain bikes, uh, tire inserts. Is that something mm. that you considered here or is it not really? Not at all, actually. You know, okay. I, I, I'm kind of old school running some higher tire pressures a lot of the time. So I don't really feel the, the need for them. I mean, I still even run tubes sometimes on, on some, of my, some of my bikes. Mm. But, uh, but yeah, of course... It, for some types of riding, they, they sure work fine, but here it just felt uh, a little bit overkill. Like I said, I have some pretty nice gravel terrain around here, so not necessary. Yeah, cool. So you, you didn't cut corners on the on the tires, but where do you think you went full weight weenie? Full weight weenie was probably like the, maybe maybe the saddle. That, that was a pretty lightweight one, full carbon, 79 grams, Schmolke saddle. Yep. Yeah, right. But the, but but the funny thing is that uh, some of these really lightweight saddles, and I've I've used to run quite a lot of them, are actually my my favorite of, of all time. Because mm. if you actually find the right shape on them, the very lightweight ones they tend to have a lot of shell flex. So it's it's kind of like riding on an old school Brooks, you know, it just flexes on underneath you. So, so I, I wouldn't change, change this saddle for, for anything. It's, it's really perfect for me. And also another benefit is that on, <clears throat> on a carbon saddle, the, the bibs will slide against the carbon. So you get less, less chafing as well. So yeah, I'm Interesting. super happy okay. with it. Yeah, right. So you'd run that saddle on, on a mountain bike as well, on a cross-country bike? or Yeah, yeah, I have it on, on one of them. Okay, all right. How, how, uh, what's the longest ride you've done on that saddle? Um, six hours or something so far. Yeah, it's a fair so, while. Yeah. So, so it's a while at least. <laughs> it works. You've tested it. So, yeah, I've yeah. tested it. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Durability is pretty good on those. Yeah. The, the thing is that of course, impact resistance, if you actually crash and it strikes a rock or something, it's, it's not as great, but otherwise no, no cracks or something like that. 
Okay. All right. Any other areas of the bike that you think are pushing the, the weight numbers on the edge? Yeah, well, we do have the, the pedals as well. Uh, mm. the, pe- the pedals are the prototype 3D printed titanium pedals from German brand Titanum. I think you, you actually have a test set or something? Jane, my colleague James Huang does. Oh, um, right, yeah. He has a test set. I don't know how much he's talking about them, but I don't think he's writing them anymore. No, um, I, that, yeah. that, that's the thing. Mine, I actually say prototype on them, so I haven't written them much either. Okay. And uh, the latest update I got from them is that they're, of course, working on the final production version. They are supposed to get rid of any any problems that exist okay. on this stage. But either way, they are like they are so crazy. One hundred grams for the for the pair and the pair, right? Yeah, exactly. So so those are are sure, for sure some weight winning stuff. Yeah, even if you remove the pedal bodies on a set of Shimano's, you still wouldn't be at that weight. No, I mean it's one third of a set of XDR pedals. Yeah, that's yeah. a crazy weight. What are the cleats yeah. like? Is it the cleats equally the, light? Yeah, the cleats weigh like twenty grams and are also three D printed titanium. So wow. I'm not wow. sure exactly how the wear will be with that. Usually, you have a softer material on the cleats, but but yeah, we'll we'll see. I'm I'm really looking forward to to getting my hands on on the production model later on okay. and spend some more time on them. Yeah, cool. How many rides have you have you got on them at this point? Oh, in time? yeah, yeah, just a couple. I mean, okay, yeah. So it's been mainly just to to test the the feel of the. Gotcha. mechanism and cool. such. So too early days to talk durability yeah. then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm keen to talk about one of the things you're you're better known for, which is dragging a a folding knife along a very expensive carbon frame. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It, it's happened a few times. <laughs> uh yeah, let's let's talk painting. So I guess yeah, how what's your process for stripping the paint off a carbon frame? Yeah, so it kind of depends on if I'm going to repaint the bike or if I'm going to go for a, a raw carbon finish. Because, of course, most people just use sandpaper to strip the paint off. And uh, I mean, if you haven't discussed this before, it, it's the, the thing is that you can't use paint stripper because it might uh, react with a resin inside the carbon fiber. So that's why you have to do manual uh, work and pretty much all paint shop jobs are, are done like this. So most people just sand it off, but you can also use the scraping method. And I just take a, a bushcraft knife and uh, and go for it. <laughs> but but, the, but there actually are some. I mean, it, it's it sounds like I'm just like a brute, but but I actually do have some benefits and uh, that is when you're sanding you don't really see what's going on underneath you using a knife you can really see what you're doing and also you really feel when you hit the the carbon fiber mm-hmm. so it it's not fast or anything it's just feel uh, I feel I have much more control uh, during the process and uh, of course you don't want to go into the carbon fiber there are some there is some factors sanding when when the frame comes out of the mold, but you don't want to do more than that. Yeah, gotcha. The the knife method is, um, I guess you have to be pretty brave to do it. Have you have you made any mistakes doing it? Nothing major yet. Okay, all right. <laughs> so so that's good. But but I have to admit that I was quite nervous nervous the the first time I, I did it. Mm. You know, it's not like you can 
or at least you couldn't find like a how-to video or something. No, so it was no, like it's not on some, YouTube. No, it was like some guy on a forum had written like, "Oh, do it like this," and in in like two sentences. And there I was with my quite expensive frame, and here we go. <laughs> so I started <laughs> at the at the bottom of the chain stay. So if I f***ed up, it wouldn't be a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> But but now I have some experience with it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What's what's the knife that you use? Uh, it's a like a traditional uh, bushcraft knife called Murakniv, but you could also use these like uh, more paint scraping razor blades uh, and stuff like that. It, it depends okay. on what you want to work with. Okay. All right. So really, anything sharp and steel will work. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you've got the paint strips. You're kind of. Some of your bikes in, in recent time have been pretty pretty creative in the colors that you've used. I mean, they look awesome. Um, what's, where are you getting inspiration from for these? Well, it's, it's kind of like, you know, having done a few full raw carbon bikes, it's a bit the same as if you have built a few all black bikes or something. You, you kind of start to, to long for some color and contrast. And uh, when I was younger, I really was into cars. I actually wanted to become a car designer and got a bit on the way uh, studying wise but not all the way so i guess this is where i i get my creative creativity at at use so so a lot of it actually comes from from the car world and uh, especially when it comes to, to color choices and such because of course these big car brands they have this huge i mean departments of just working on what what shade of of green to to put on the yeah. bike on the car? So, mm. and I mean, you can just find the the color code for for any car and and get the paint. So, so that's that's the inspiration there. And then, of course, it's a lot to come up with a, a good design to actually apply it on a bike. And and that's a bit of a different story, I guess. Mm. Is there is there a specific car that uh, I guess gave you inspiration for this gravel bike? Yeah, this paint actually comes from from Range Rover, and it also been an option on on Audi. It's called Sansibar Brown, and it's so nice because it really shifts so much between brown and gold, and uh, yeah, it's it's just a, a really beautiful color. Yeah. Okay. All right. And and the bike before that, the was it the not the not your most recent build, but all the green bikes that you built. Yeah. Exactly. I built a a pair of British racing green bikes uh, that, that drew, drew a lot of inspiration from, from the old racing cars and, and, and such. So uh, the, the, and the green goes so well against uh, chrome or polished uh, aluminum. So, so that was a given. I also built a, a Ferrari red, okay. also Corsa, the, the racing right. red. So, so that was another car inspiration and and even the the white bike we talked about earlier it's the same mm. color as my volkswagen <laughs> all right, so, okay. yeah it's a pearl white from from volkswagen of all brands <laughs> yeah right nice okay yeah the the racing green bikes i have to admit uh when you when you launched those i was i was kind of looking at my at the knife on my on my desk and I, like, <laughs> it's just such a timeless yeah. look it, 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 i mean you almost can't go wrong with it, it it's crazy like that I, i'm actually thinking about doing uh, another racing green bike just because uh, i don't have those anymore uh, and uh, i, I kind of miss the color yeah oh they were amazing 
what what are some of the the bigger mistakes that you've had to learn on on your way to painting such bikes are there oh, are there any lessons oh you can provide <laughs> i do mistakes all the time painting <laughs> it's just by far the the most difficult thing I, i've tried to learn because it's it's one thing to grab a set of spray cans and and just paint something to get it i mean change the color or something but to actually get a durable finish like factory durable it's so difficult even if you're using pro automotive paints and, and stuff like that because every step has to be correct in temperature and uh, timing and and so on and also i found that at least for for a rookie like, like me it's a bike is quite difficult because you, you have so many many shapes on the frame so, so it's not like you can't easily see where, how many layers you're putting on and, and stuff like that. So, so every bike so far, I'm, I'm making mistakes. So it's more a matter of how many hours I have to spend correcting them. <laughs> <laughs> have you have you had to go like start from scratch again? Have you had to undo? Yeah, on one of the early projects, I I was going to do a a, a Klein, Klein replica. Oh, nice. One of their, okay colorful yeah. jobs and uh, had some bad chemical reaction with the paint and had to start all over and wow. oh. <laughs> it was horrible had to walk <laughs> away for a few days i'm sure yeah sort of <laughs> but that's the problem you know because it always feels like there's some like pressure to get things done because you want them ready in time for for the riding season or, or whatever it is so you just have to take the bull by the horns and some deep breath and words i guess <laughs> and back on it what what does your paint setup look like are you do you have a little booth or are you just painting in, in a garage what what are you doing unfortunately it's it's very basic uh, at the moment uh, so uh, i'm looking to get my own workshop up and running but uh, now it just looks like a scene from dexter you know with blue plastic and stuff <laughs> hanging from from the wall and uh and that's how I do it. So, so it's a bit big problem with uh, dust and, and stuff like that. But gotcha. Uh, but but yeah, it works. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then, uh, yeah, I guess so. You you start with the the raw finish and make sure it's it's perfectly uh, perfectly smooth before you you lay paint. Um, what I've seen with painting, it seems like the the most tedious part is the polishing. Am I am I right there? Yeah, or all the sanding in, in general. I mean, yeah. first you have to sand the frame to, to get the old paint off. And then it's probably like maybe four steps of sanding everything again uh, mm. before it's actually finished. And uh, depending on, on what clear coat you use, you also have to do three or even four steps uh, in the polishing process. So it, it's very time consuming. So I, I honestly, I'm just, I don't understand how these professional uh, paint shops how they actually get it done so so fast because it is a lot of work so i mean if you see a paint job and uh, yeah that it costs like 800 euros or something i mean it's it's really you, you're getting quite a lot for your money actually even if yeah. it's a lot of course yeah uh how how long how many hours do you think go into painting a frame say like this this latest um addict gravel how long do you think you spent painting painting that the latest one was was quite a right since it's not a full paint job so it was a bit a bit quicker but uh, but otherwise i mean at least for for me who's just an amateur it can easily take me like a like a work week uh, and wow. that's not not including actually stripping the the paint beforehand 
Yeah, you, right. you could strip strip the paint fast. I, I hear shops do it in like twelve work hours or something, but for me, it's usually twice that time. I just hmm. I just want to make sure that it's properly done, you know. And, and yeah. if I'm gonna keep a, a raw finish, uh, I don't want to sand through in places and uh, and make it look bad. Yeah, are you using any power tools for the 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 paint, like the the post paint sanding and the polishing, or is it all by hand? The, the polishing, I have a, a small polishing machine, but uh, otherwise, it's it's all by hand. Okay, all right, that is a lot of hours. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> I'll just stick with my stock paint for now. Um, <laughs> for now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to quickly talk tools, which is uh, yeah. I guess every time I see you post a, a bike build video on your on your Instagram, you you anger the world, you anger the internet world, and uh, uh, of yeah, you basically build your your crazily nice bikes with a set of um, with a park tool folding hex key set, which uh, basically yeah. a multi tool almost. Um, it is. You're not the first mechanic that I've met that actually does this though, so I'm keen to yeah. Uh, why? You know, nice tools are of course nice, but I mean, it just comes from from my, all, all my days at the bike shop and the workshop there, because you wear a, a hoodie or or just something, and and you always, always, always have have one of those tools in your pocket. I mean, I remember I used to have like five of them at home because you just forget to to take them out, so they're like part of my hand now, and uh, I just like. I mean, you're standing there working with the bike and sometimes it's just not practical to drop whatever you're holding and go get the right tool for it. And uh, by now I feel that I kind of have a built-in torque wrench in my wrist mm-hmm. as well. So so even though I, I do have a, a torque wrench and, and use it for, for some of the high-end stuff, you know, like EHM stems or, or whatever it is, uh, I still do most of my, my work with that little multi-hex tool. Okay. How often uh, are you wearing them out? Are you are you replacing them? Those those little multi tools, or you you've got one uh, that you've been using for years? <laughs> Since I actually do a lot of uh, the work at the shop I work in, it, it's more of a the challenge is finding a fresh one. You know, so oh. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe I should just get one and and put my name on it. So so I always have a, a good one. <laughs> You mentioned you mentioned the torque wrench, and uh, I guess your latest video with the the release of this gravel bike has um, you using a torque wrench on some of the parts, like the stem. Yeah. Uh, when I saw that, I thought maybe it was just for show. Is it? No, you know, it's you kind of. I've been building bikes for like twenty years. I stripped one bolt in all these years. If we don't co- count the old Rockshox Boxer four crowns, which were like oh, yeah. made of cheese. Yes, but uh, but so don't, I don't count those. <laughs> but but you know <laughs> those went bolts. You, yeah, yeah. You kind of learn what how tight you actually need to to go, and uh, and it depends a, a little bit uh, on on what I'm doing. But but for some some things, I bring out the torque wrench. It's like if you have some really fancy cranks or something that I mean, you you really don't want to over tighten them and and risk breaking something. And then I bring it out, but otherwise I, I feel comfortable with the multi tool. Okay, so you are genuinely using the torque wrench when needed. It's not just it's not just to stop angering the internet. No, it, it's not. Okay, I mean okay. I, <laughs> I, 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 I have gotten by uh, by doing it without it for for many many years. But uh, now when I actually have it, why don't use it? Okay, 
All right. Uh, I'm keen, I guess, yeah, we're coming towards the end of uh, my list of questions for you, but I'm keen to to ask you as to whether you got any teasers of what's coming up next. What's the next project? There's so much coming up, actually. The funny thing is that I don't know yet everything. (laughs) But, well, you know, now that I've kind of joined forces with, with Scott, I'll have a bit more more muscle getting access to to frames and and such. So so the loose plan is to build like maybe up to eight or ten bikes until the end of 2022. So there are a lot of projects coming, and there will be like I guess I'm just gonna branch out a little bit because this means that I probably can build like my first road bike uh, as well and. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, it'll probably give it a go with some some e-bikes and stuff like that. So, so a lot of cool stuff coming. But but first out is of course the the new Scott Spark mountain bikes with a integrated shock and everything. If yeah. I manage to integrate all cables well, that will be like the huh. the the new best thing. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, that could be a very exciting build. So, uh, how much of how much of your builds are you you're working with Scott now? How much of it is sort of uh, I guess collaborative, like your, how much of what you do and your ideas are going back to them. That's the cool thing because, and, and it's always been super important for me as well going into it, that I can pretty much do whatever I want. They they seem to to trust me and uh, that I, that I will do a, a good job. So they basically let me run run loose with my wild ideas and and see where it goes. So um, um I've, I've never actually heard it like a know from them so so they're, they're very cool like, like that are they taking your ideas and perhaps using in the design team to figure out if they can put into production or is that is some of your stuff a bit too uh a bit too into the future that's the thing that but the bills i do uh, i have the luxury of uh, just having to build them for myself and mm. they don't have to be like uh, perfect for for a, a random workshop or something or you know, assembling a hundred bikes or whatever it is. So I can go a little bit more crazy and they have to see the bigger picture. The bike has to work for someone weighing 120 kilos as well. But I really hope to at least get a little bit more insight and maybe talk a bit with the engineers. And, and so I've, I met them and there are some really cool and passionate guys. So I'm looking forward to that. And otherwise it's, it's kind of funny like that because some of the things I do with my, my bikes, like integration or such, I mean, I understand that these big brands are working on it. It's just that they're always like two, three, four, or even five years ahead of what's out on the market. So, But, it, but of course, it's all behind closed doors. So it was a bit funny because uh, with my uh, HyperSpark uh, build, the mountain bike with all integrated cables, I started working on, on that one pretty much at the same time as Scott started working on their new Spark, trying to hide all cables. So we essentially did some of the, the same ideas, just in different ways. Yeah, like they, they integrated the dropper remote into into the twin lock, but with a third leader, yeah. and you did it with yeah, it, two leaders, <laughs> right? <laughs> it, it, it's a big twin lock these days, but yeah. it's a bit confusing at first actually to, to use it, but, but it, it, it works very well. So, but, but I mean, that, that's another thing because often I, I just take stuff that's out there and uh, modify it a bit to, to suit my, my needs. But 
often it's it's not suitable for for mass production or it's a mix of you know different brands and and uh, patents and such it's like mixing SRAM axis with a third party shifter and we'll just never see it on the market because both are different patents uh, but but they can be combined into something very nice if if they would like to yeah cool uh what's i guess yeah to to finish this up but w- you've now built a gravel bike you've probably spent a few months obsessing about everything that's out there in terms of the gravel world and you know how to optimize this bike um do you see any gaps do you see any areas that you think the gravel world still still can progress into anything from the mountain bike world you, you you're keen to see come across i think what's so exciting about the gravel scene is that it's just so so new it's a bit like the mountain bike scene in the 90s you know you have it's a lot like the mountain bike scene from the 90s <laughs> yeah you know people are just yeah. experimenting and and see see where things are, are going so so it's super exciting and uh, i mean you have so much going on with you have proper like race gravel bikes coming out and full on like bike packing almost they're, they're almost like mountain bikes as well you know with drop bars full suspension and and everything so right now i'm more like just you know sitting back and, and watching the the show <laughs> yeah sure but, but i think i think there's a lot of cool things to, to come i guess what i personally like to see is the cleaner looks from uh, from uh, road bikes because some of the the gravels stuff uh, i mean it's just not as pleasing to to the eye but uh, i mean that's that's part of, of what makes cycling so interesting because you have all these different sign ideas and and a, a small brand can can come up and do something beautiful and a big brand can yeah, well do something not as beautiful so we, we'll see what's coming <laughs> hope you enjoyed that chat with Gustav. If you haven't already, be sure to check out the feature on cycling tips. As always, I'd like to say a special thank you to our Velo Club members for making this podcast possible. We don't sell advertising on the Nerd Alert podcast, and that's only possible with the support of our members. Head to cyclingtips.com forward slash sign up to learn how your support helps our content and benefits you. Chat to you next week.